calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Once again, we find ourselves trying to find our way through the multiverse. It's episode 482 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and yes, at Comic-Con I had a chance to talk to some of the creative minds behind, behind Babylon 5, the Road Home, which is the new animated movie in the Babylon 5 universe. They got the cast back. Well, most of them anyway to voice the roles that they had on the popular series. But, you know, of course, because of the strike, they couldn't attend. But I do have series creator J. Michael Straczynski that joined me and director Matt Peters, who I also chatted with at the press roundtables at Comic-Con. So I'll play some of their thoughts on this upcoming movie. And if you're thinking to yourself, what is that noise? It's 102 degrees in Virginia where I live right now. So I got a second air conditioner running. I love giving you guys the best audio possible, but guess what? You're just going to have to deal with the hum from that air conditioner for this show because I'm not sweating my way through an hour for you. Sorry. I love you guys, but it's too hot. So get the other air conditioner going. So I don't I don't think you'll mind that too much. Also, I'm going to talk about the Netflix movie Heart of Stone with Gal Gadot. going to talk about that. Maybe share some spoilers too since, you know, the movie's been out for a few days. Also got some nerd news to talk about. Stephen Amell joining the picket line. That was funny, right? I got a few thoughts on that, plus a whole lot more. But coming up next, how about we talk to J. Michael Straczynski and Matt Peters about Babylon 5, The Road Home. Give you that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Jeff Lemire, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Babylon 5 fans rejoice. The show is back in movie form, animated movie form, actually, with Babylon 5, The Road Home, which is going to be available on Tuesday, August the 15th from Warner Brothers Discovery Home Entertainment. It's a continuation movie, which I got to tell you, it's seeing John Sheridan and the gang back again. It was just so, so good. And this movie, I think, better than you might expect. And when I was at Comic-Con, I got a chance to talk to J. Michael Straczynski, who, of course, is the creator, writer, and executive producer of the original Babylon 5 series, and also director matt peters about this project and if this doesn't get you hyped for it i don't know what will so when you want to know more about babylon 5 stuff you got to go right to the source right so j michael straczynski when he joined me the first question that was asked to him at the round table was you know how did this project sort of come about what made you want to do this warner's told me they saw the 30th anniversary coming along and uh, their fans and they said look we really want to do something in the animated space of Babylon 5 and you want to Take a shot at it. And I said, absolutely. But I also realized when that call came that if we did an animated movie, on the one hand, it means we could, you know, 
show some of our, our characters, the actors of whom are, are no longer with us. And I sent an email to all the cast members who are still alive and said, if you do this, this movie, you may end up playing with actors portraying some of your fallen friends. And are you okay with that? And if anyone's not okay with it, we won't do it. You know, everyone has to be happy with it. And they all came back and said absolutely because they wanted to use this as an opportunity to sort of memorialize their fallen friends and, and the way that those performances define those characters and, and carry that forward on behalf of those actors. And so that, that gave me the freedom to do it. And then came the question of what's going to be about. And I wanted to do a celebration. Celebration of the show, celebration of the fans, the actors, something lighthearted. Oddly enough, maybe though I'm an atheist, uh, a line from the Bible came to mind, which is, you know, make a joyful noise. And thought, let's make a joyful noise. Let's get out there and just have some freaking fun. And mainly as well to make a love letter to the fans who have been patient and waiting for 20 years so you would come along and show our appreciation for that. One of the things I wanted to ask Jay Michael was about the recasting process for those actors that are no longer with us. So here's what he said about that. How careful were you about that recasting process for those actors that are no longer with us to just make sure it still fit this true tradition of those characters? Yeah, we didn't want it to do like an imitation of them, of their voices. That, that wasn't the goal. But to capture the essence of it, to sort of create the sensibility of it. And the actors who came in to play those roles understood the enormity of what they were being asked to do, to pick up another actor who's not there anymore. And they, they really brought their A games to this thing and brought the performances to life. I, I could not be happy with what they did. Since this is an animated movie, somebody asked Jay Michael if there were things that maybe they were able to do that they wouldn't have necessarily been able to do if this thing was live action. Was it a little bit more freeing, maybe? Yeah, well, certainly in terms of the original show, because we that was all shot inside of the old hot tub factory in Sun Valley. And the farthest we got on location was into the, the, the parking lot. So the idea of being able to go to Earth and go to you know, worlds and other timelines and, and open it up and, and show the fans things that we could never, ever show in the course of the original series was very appealing. We did that. We, we, it, it's almost like a travelogue for the, uh, the D5 universe. So there was a point in this interview where he talked about just randomly about how joyful the experience was in making this movie and kind of having a love letter to the fans. I just want to hear, have you hear him talk about just the enjoyment from everybody involved in working on this thing. Every, every instrument was joyful. The, 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 the folks in the animation area for Warner Brothers were so respectful. I had to actually sort of say to them, don't worry about it, it's okay, you can play it. We did what we could with effects at that time, as best we could. But if there's a way to make it look better now, don't be precious about it. Don't really have to mess up on my toes. If you go too far, I'll pull you back. But I want you guys to have fun and have some measure of ownership of how things look and, and be free to play. Because if you're not free to play, why are you doing it? So they were fun. The actors had a great time uh, uh, doing the, the, um, the, the audio tracks for this thing. I was, I was on Zoom with most of them when we did them. They were just having a blast going back to those characters. They just put them back on like a pair of shoes that uh, you were very familiar with. And the mix down was great. There was there was not a bump in the road. I, I, I've always been a pain in the ass. All right. I've always said straight up, if a studio is screwing around, a studio is screwing around. There were no bumps at all. It could not have been smoother. They were, they were so respectful, so kind. 
Triple Abernathy, they're all fans. And a lot of the guys who worked in CG grew up on the effects of Babylon 5. So for them to come back and work on Babylon 5 was like, yes. Now the question for Babylon 5 fans is, could there be more of these? I've been told that it does does well, that you know there will be others down the road. I think they have to figure out the Zaslav of it all and how that the money is going to be spread around in Warner Brothers and the new uh, leadership of Warner Brothers. But once that was all nailed down, I would be surprised if they didn't do more of these because the um, the sales on the first one have just been through the roof. I mean, more so than they actually anticipated. So, uh, yeah, I have more ideas. I, I, I've never not had Babylon 5 ideas. I, I still hear the characters in my head on a regular basis. It's not getting them to talk to him to shut up. It's the hard part. So, J. Michael was talking about having all of these ideas. So, somebody asked about the writing process, and was it hard to not try to squeeze a whole bunch of ideas into this particular movie? Yeah, the writing process is always the same in the sense that you think, how the hell am I going to fill up 95 pages? And then halfway through, is it, how am I going to squeeze all this into 95 pages? <laughs> but because I know the universe so well, because the characters never stop talking, my, my biggest problem was just cutting the scenes in terms of time because I would, they would just keep on going. It's like, okay, come on, guys, cut it, cut it back, you know. No, the, the, the script was a very, very quick write. They turned it in. They had no notes, and um, they just shot it. Next up was director Matt Peters. One of the things I wanted to ask him right away was how quickly did he know that he'd have some of these original cast members back to voice some of these roles? How early on in the process did you realize you were going to have the original cast back to voice these characters? That was pretty soon. It was like, I know that uh, when I started doing my research for the show and I was watching it, I became a fan, basically. I kept doing more and more research, so then obviously I heard about you know some of the actors that were no longer with us, so that was something that I was wondering would be, are we going to re cast entirely or was it, would it be you know the, uh, some of the original actors coming back and Rick was very much yeah he was like uh, I know that Joe really wanted to bring the cast together and he spoke to them and he wanted to make sure that they felt comfortable with the idea of doing this show with other actors that would be performing in place of the other characters and once everybody was happy to do with it then we just kind of ran with it after that. Somebody asked a really good question about which season of Babylon 5 best describes the tone of this movie and this is what Matt had to say. Honestly I never thought about it before in terms of tone it feels like it would match probably season four if not also maybe season two um, because it's it really is like a love letter to the characters it's a love letter to the show and to the fans and I felt that season four kind of best could you know, capture that kind of spirit. The next question was how do you kind of make this your own but also keep it within the spirit and pay homage to the show at the same time. It was really interesting to be able to focus on the show because I became a fan of the show by doing my research for it, and, and, and Rick was one as well. And so um, Joe was really like super supportive. He gave us he gave us all like the, the support that he could ever imagine. He, he was not strict. He did not want things to be done in a particular way. He let us discover the movie that we wanted to tell. And he always said, like, you know, do what you guys want, and if we go too far, he'll let us know. And so at that point, Rick and I worked together on another, uh, a couple other productions ourselves, so we just kind of followed our instincts, and we wanted to tell the story that we thought would, be, that would work best for, for not just the show, but, but for this movie. So we focused mostly on the movie. We didn't want to, like, get too carried away about whether or not we were doing things correct or anything like that. 
The next question talked about which animation style they decided to use when they were making this movie. When he refers to Rick, he's talking about Rick Morales, one of his collaborators on the project. Rick and I worked together on another movie called The, uh, the Battle of the Super Sons, and we uh, used this CG 2D effect on that one, which we really fell in love with. We thought it was great. And that was the first question I asked Rick is, are we going to be doing the same thing? He said, absolutely. And we felt that that worked because we were going to do a stylized version of Babylon 5. I mean, we weren't going to make it look like um, like actual, we weren't going to make it look like the actors like in some kind of 3D capture, like an action figure. We wanted to do a stylized version of that. And we knew that, that doing a 2D blend of, of CG would be the best way to pull it off. I think the show looks fantastic, or the movie rather, I think looks fantastic. One of our, I think one of our best looking things. So Matt was talking more about how he became a fan of the, of the show while he was doing his research and how he was starting to look up some stuff online. So I asked him if that was part of the way he came up, they came up with the idea to do the alternate timeline storyline in this movie. Is that how you kind of drifted towards the alternate timeline aspect that, that's a part of this movie? Then? Well, Joe had that all figured out. So it was like, he gave us a script that had everything, like, you know, uh, all the bells and whistles were there. So we were really capturing what Joe wanted to tell us a story. And it was just such a great script that it was, we just saw the opportunity to really enjoy on it. But it did create a challenge for us because I started to kind of notice all the different things about how characters looked because you had, you know, uh, you know go Goatees and then no goatees and then you know different robes and things and every time that that comes into play you have to create a new design for it, which inflates our budget and everything like that and but Rick was uh, was adamant about making sure that this show was accurate we didn't want to cheap out on any of that stuff. Diving further into the research, someone asked, "Was there something that you found in your research that you were adamant that you wanted to put in this movie?" And I love Matt's answer. There was one thing that uh, I, I love to point out because it's just it's just a little bit of nerdism thing is that while I was watching the show I just I, I couldn't help but notice details because you're watching the, you're watching episode after episode and I noticed that Bruce Boxleitner is left-handed so he had his his um, uh, device on his on his other hand compared to some of the other actors and normally that's something that in animation we would just like ignore it pretend it's not there because it would save us a cost by you know reusing bodies and things and when I mentioned it to Rick I was like hey did you notice that he's left-handed he was like no we got to do that we need to make sure that that tracks which created a whole set of problems for me because I had to make sure that overseas was making sure that they were on the right hand and so that was a lot of or the storyboards had to match so and that's part of the reason that that kind of attention to detail and the love that everybody poured into this project that made it work so well Babylon 5 the road home really is a love letter to the fans and it really takes characters not just in the same direction that we've seen them and what made you fall in love with them in the first place but reinvents them through these tops in the timelines and things like that and I gotta tell you the sky's the limit for Babylon 5 fans now if this animation if this animated movie is as successful as it seems like it's going to be there could be a full line of these things this could just be the tip of the iceberg, and if you want that to be the case, make sure you're watching Babylon 5, The Road Home. You can get it in 4K, Blu-ray, digital HD, wherever you get your physical copies. I've got mine, and I love the fact that I have a physical copy. And again, thanks to Warner Brothers Discovery Home Entertainment for sending me that. And of course, all, all opinions here are my own, but i got to tell you, I had a lot of fun talking to Matt Peters and J. Michael Stravinsky about Babylon 5, and this movie in particular, I think you're really going to dig it. That's going to do it for my conversation with the guys up next. Going to talk about Netflix's new movie, Heart of Stone with Gal Gadot. I'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, this is Greg Rucka. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Who's lurking in the shadows and who is pulling the strings? Heart of Stone has premiered now on Netflix. It stars Gal Gadot and Jamie Dornan, just to name a few. So I'm going to give you a spoiler-ish review of this. So I'm going to drop a few spoilers here and there. Nothing major or anything like that. But I feel like I can't talk about this too much completely without doing some spoilers. But I'm going to start with my initial thoughts, as I always do. Honestly, it was okay. It was okay. There was nothing, you know, I don't think they broke a lot of really new ground here. They used a formula that, you know, works for spy action movies. And, and they used, you know, they threw some more attack in there. And they, you know, did a couple of tweaks that looked somewhat unique from time to time. But, you know, Greg Rucka is one of the writers on this. You know him from a lot of things that you love, of course, from comics and on the screen as well. And Allison Schroeder wrote this with him. Tom Harper was the director and honestly, again, it's, it was one of those things where, you know, you've got Gal Gadot who plays Stone, Rachel Stone, and she has a team or you think she has a team. The first spoiler I'm going to give you is you find out that she's kind of a double agent. You know, you think she's with MI6. Really, she works for something called Charter. And they're, they're this kind of peacekeeping organization, this global peacekeeping organization. And they have this thing called the heart. Now, basically, again, this is another spoiler that I'm going to give you. The heart is like this ultimate hacking machine where it can basically hack into anything and I mean anything so you'd have total control over like nuclear missile sites and stuff like that just to just to name just one major thing so that much I could tell you and you find out she's sort of a double agent she's they're looking for this hacker who I won't I won't tell you who that is or what her story is 
or anything like that. I'll let that kind of, you know, as the movie goes along. So they're looking for her, and it turns out the MI6 and the Charter, they're both looking for the same person. But there's also, you know, as, as there are in spy thrillers, right, there's also somebody that's a mole. They don't know who it is, and I'm not going to tell you who it is either. So you're going to have to find that on your own as well. And here's the thing. Maybe it's just because I've seen her as Wonder Woman and you know she's the star of the movie, but you see Gal Gadot's character of Rachel Stone. She kind of starts out as this, you know, she's the tech person. She's the one that's supposed to stay in the van because in these movies and shows, there's always somebody that's supposed to stay in the van. And you come to find out that, you know, she's obviously more than that and her team doesn't know that at the time. And I didn't buy her for one second as girl in the van. I just didn't. Even if I hadn't seen her as Wonder Woman, even if I went into this cold and didn't know that she was the main character in this movie, I still wouldn't have bought her as girl in the van. You could just tell automatically. And that's not Gaul's fault. That's, you know, well, yeah, I guess you could blame that a little bit on the writing. But that wasn't the thing that really kind of made me the most frustrated about this movie. And I, and I did enjoy it. but I, And I'll get to that in a second. But the villain, who, again, I don't really want to talk about because I don't want to spoil that for you, but it's like the... Again, it's the let's give the villain a purpose thing. I And I gr- granted, at least you know why he's doing what he's doing. I guess that, well, I guess, I guess well, now you know it's a guy. <laughs> you, you know why he's doing what he's doing. But, like, does that matter? I guess it does matter in certain instances. But it's like, once you find out this person's the mole, it shouldn't matter what their reason is, right? You should be, You should care enough about the characters that this person is betraying and then that should be enough to make you hate them and make them the villain. You don't need to give them even more of a purpose. And then you almost try and belittle the people that you're supposed to be rooting for in the first place, like their villains as well. And maybe, you know, you could look at it that way, but I don't know. I just feel like it, it misses the point. It misses the point of the whole thing. Like you, if you're going to go good guy, bad guy dynamic, and that's kind of what you're doing here, you can't make the good guys look like bad guys as much as you are and then try and make it seem like the bad guy's doing something good and then he does something so bad where you go, oh, that's right, he is the bad guy, I forgot. No, you can't, I just that drives me crazy. And that movie kind of does this. And that's what was frustrating to me. You do have the central character of Rachel Stone, who I thought was a really good character. I thought Gall did a great job playing her. There's some cool stunts that involve her as well and some cool tech that she gets to play around with, which I thought was neat. And again, you're not talking like Mission Impossible level stuff here because some of the stunts in there are insane, and I don't compare anything to that. And that movie's been out long enough that it's not like it released right up against that movie where you got to kind of compare the two stunt-wise. I thought the stunts in this thing were pretty darn good, actually, and there was a lot of fun stuff to be had there. I thought there were also some other likable characters in this thing, I thought Yang and Bailey, and you'll know who they are when you watch the movie. I thought they were characters that were really fun as well. And I liked the dynamic between Gaul's character and the hacker, who, again, I'm not going to reveal because that could, you know, sort of give you some spoilers that I don't want you to have. But th- there were a lot of good things about this movie. Was it predictable for the most part? Yeah, it was pretty predictable for the most part. Was it fun? Most of the time, yeah, it was fun most of the time. There, there were some good locations that they shot in. If you like spy movies and you just like something that you don't have to think about a whole lot, this movie is pretty darn good for you. But this, There's not a lot of deep, intricate things going on here. And there's, you know, certain, you know, spy movie tropes that you're going to get in this thing. And if you're okay with that, then this movie won't upset you a whole lot. I Yeah, I've seen the reviews of this thing and I understand why some people are frustrated and can't watch it if you've put yourself up to a certain standard 
of what you're going to expect and you want the, something to raise the bar, this movie's not going to raise any bars. It's just not. This is one that you gotta, you're going to throw on to have fun and watch. Don't overthink it. Now, I say that a lot when I talk about certain movies. Like, don't overthink it. Just have fun with it. You don't always need something to have this deep, meaningful, shocking-type plot. Okay? Just throw something on because it's enjoyable and either like it or don't like it, but don't go into it thinking you're going to be... You're going to... If you go into something thinking you're going to see the greatest movie you've ever seen every time, you're going to be disappointed. I tell, I say that a lot. Like, it seems like nowadays we throw something on and expect it to be incredible all, all the time. And this movie wasn't incredible. It was just fine. And that's okay. Not everything's going to be incredible. It was just fine. Am I glad I watched it? Absolutely. Did I think some of the dialogue was a little sloppy and it was a little tropey? Sure. Sure it was. But at the same time, this was a movie that was enjoyable. There were some good stunts. Gal Gadot was good. There was some other good acting as well. I will say that I wouldn't I wouldn't make Jamie Dorn in the new Bond based on this. And that's probably not fair. But at the same time, I see him in this movie. And, and again, maybe not a fair comparison. But I see him in this movie and the character that he plays. And as I'm watching it, I'm picturing him. Because I know he's been one of the names that's been linked. So I'm kind of picturing, okay, could he pull the James Bond role off? And and this movie told me, no, no, I don't, I, no, he can't be the new Bond. He just can't. He just doesn't have that extra little bit that you need to play James Bond. And I, you know, hopefully, you know, if if somebody's deciding based on this movie, that's probably unfair. And maybe you're going to tell me that me saying that is unfair. But that's the vibe that I got coming out of this thing because this is still a spy movie. Right. And it's, you know, you can make that connection a little bit. And the characters were certainly very different. But at the same time, just the swagger and the vibe that he brings off in this thing. No, it's just it didn't work for me. So if you're thinking that Jamie Dornan could be the next James Bond, I wouldn't. Great actor. Still a very good actor. I still like him in a lot of stuff. I like that he played a little bit of a different character in this thing, too. So it wasn't the same old, same old for him. But at the same time, yeah, no, I wouldn't make him the new new Bond after seeing this thing for sure. But again, Heart of Stone on Netflix. It's worth the watch. Don't overthink it. Just have fun with it. Set your expectations a little bit lower than they might have been before, and you'll have fun enjoying this movie. Because, yeah, it kind of is another run-of-the-mill spy movie, but if you like them anyway, if you like the formula, you won't be disappointed. So don't worry about that. That's going to do it for my review of Heart of Stone from Netflix, which is now streaming up next. Let's tackle some nerd news. And yeah, there's some more fun stuff to talk about this week. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Uh, hey, this is comic book author and creator Matt Wagner, and you're here with the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The lasso of truth could strike again. It's time for nerd news. And the reason I say that is apparently uh, you've probably seen the interview, Gal Gadot, the interviews that she did before the strike are coming out for Heart of Stone, which I reviewed earlier in the show. And she told first, this was first from comicbook.com. Then she also said it to Flaunt Magazine. I never thought I'd ever quote Flaunt Magazine on the show about Wonder Woman 3 still being a possibility and her coming back. And she says, and this is the quote, I was invited to a meeting with James Gunn and Peter Safran, you know, the DC Studios bosses. And what they told me, and she's quoting them now, she says, you're in the best hands. We're going to develop Wonder Woman 3 with you. We love you as Wonder Woman. You've got nothing to worry about. And then she says, so time will tell. So here's the thing. And I saw somebody, and I wish I could remember who, who this was, who posted this on X or Twitter or whatever we're calling it now, and said, you know, I really wish that James Gunn and Peter Saffron would just come out and say, okay, here's who's staying from the old DC movies, 
and here's who's not coming back. You know, just put it out there, cut and dry. Then that way we don't have to keep doing this whole back and forth song and dance thing. And there's really nothing to hold people in anticipation about, right? And part of it may be, and maybe I get this part of it. Part of it maybe is you've got a couple movies coming out, Aquaman 2 for for one that I could think of, where you know, like you, you're pretty darn sure that Jason Momoa is Aquaman, that's probably done. I, I don't, and that's what people just assumed, like with Shazam. People have been assuming this about DC movies for a while now that, oh, this part of it's just done. So, you know, why would I go see this if they're not going to be a part of it anymore sort of thing? So that's why we're starting to see a lot of these DC movies not make a lot of money. And part of it's superhero fatigue, but that's not the road I want to go down right now. But I think if we can universally agree on something, we can universally agree on the fact that Gal Gadot should come back as Wonder Woman in some capacity. Even if it's in a reboot capacity, I would think that you would bring her back because she's just been so good in the role. Wonder Woman 1984, not her fault. Not her fault that that movie wasn't as good as it should have been. And maybe James Gunn and Peter Safran see, see that and go, okay, we love her. We just don't love how that movie went. And maybe that's why Patty Jenkins doesn't look like she's going to be back. Maybe they're going to start with a new director. And I wouldn't be opposed to that. I like Patty Jenkins, but at the same time, that Wonder Woman 1984 did not work out well. I mean, for going from the first Wonder Woman movie that was so good to Wonder Woman 1984 that wasn't nearly as good... That was quite a bit of a drop-off there. So I could understand them not necessarily wanting to have Patty back and giving somebody else a shot. That doesn't mean that Patty's not a good director. She obviously is. But at the same time, maybe it's just time to give somebody else a chance to continue to tell the story. Maybe they take Wonder Woman 3 in a different direction than Wonder Woman 1984 took. And that's not a bad thing either. I understand the whole Linda Carter thing. You want closure with that. You just need to accept one fact about what's going forward with DC movies. You might not get closure from the previous universe at all. There might just not be any closure, and you just have to accept that. If there's one thing you have to accept, I think that's the thing that it needs to be. We'll get some lack of closure. Will we get another Wonder Woman movie with Gal Gadot? I hope so. If we don't, if they recast it well, I'm fine. I don't think we're getting another Wonder Woman movie anytime soon anyway, so it's not like this is something that would be happening in any kind of of immediate future, but I'm with her. You know, let's just see how it goes and hold out the hope. See what happens. Here's something I bet you thought wouldn't get a sequel. How about Uncharted? Because there is talk now of a possible Uncharted 2. And that's according to the Hollywood Reporter producer, Charles Roven, who worked on our Oppenheimer, so he's been doing some interviews recently too, said he wants to make another one of these things. He actually said, quote, we had a really good time with that movie. The fans really liked the movie, and people who didn't know anything about the video game liked the movie as well. So they want to do another one. Here's my only problem with this. Is he overselling it a, a tad? Because did everybody like this movie? I, I mean, I, I, I know that it's been a while, right? But at the same time, I think that's a little bit of an overstatement, right? I mean, I looked it up. It made $400 million dollars. At the box office, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's pretty good. But at the same time, like, I don't remember anyone clamoring for Uncharted 2 after they saw Uncharted 1. Now, there's always some select fans that, you know, loved it and want more. And, you know, it's hard not to love Tom Holland as Nathan Drake. I get all that, right? You know, Mark Wahlberg was okay as Sully, too. I thought the, the cast was, was decent. The movie was decent, but that's just it. It was just okay. And I don't know that you make sequels based on decent and now again there were some good action scenes in the movie they plucked the scenes from the game that they probably needed to pluck 
to to make the fans of the game happy and the action overall was good but again are we making sequels based on good now do we do we not kind of give ourselves the great bar anymore because while 400 million at the box office is good that's not great either and sequels don't tend to do better than the originals in most cases there are obvious exceptions to that rule i just don't know that we need another uncharted movie and oh by the way tom holland is taking a break from acting right now so this probably wouldn't be something that happened anytime soon anyway but i i don't know this this is a tough one for me because i could see making another one obviously because they made multiple games and there's more of that story to tell and yeah they probably took it in a little bit different direction than the games did so there's a little bit of a uniqueness there and an uncertainty there and things that you could do I just don't know and it's worth doing honestly so Uncharted 2 maybe it happens maybe it doesn't I wouldn't be sad either way honestly I mean if they made a second one I'd see it I'm not gonna lie I would see it but I wouldn't expect it to be better than its predecessor I could tell you that much right now Sometimes lately it feels like it's just a Barbie world and we're just living in it. And that's alright, but Mattel is now hungry for more. This coming from the Hollywood Reporter's Heat Vision blog where they say that Hot Wheels is going to be the next Mattel movie that's going to be made. Looks like it's going to be from Warner Brothers just because of the success of Barbie. Now reports are that they're looking for directors right now. The J.J. Abrams Bad Robot Productions is actually developing the movie, but here's where... It gets it for me right here. Apparently, J.J. Abrams at one point or another told The New Yorker that the Hot Wheels movie is going to be emotional, grounded, and gritty. Because, you know, when I was sitting on the floor playing with my Hot Wheels cars when I was a kid, that's what I was. I was emotional. And, you know, obviously I was grounded because I was on the floor. And, yeah, grittiness is always what I need from my Hot Wheels movie. Now, do I need it to be, you know, a little bit goofy like the Barbie movie was? No, but at the same time, do we need this to be emotional, grounded, and gritty? Does it have to be that? I'm not even saying make it for kids, okay? I don't want you to get the wrong impression here. I don't think that this needs to be made for kids. And I think any Hot Wheels movie can absolutely be open-ended at this point as far as what you could do with the story because it's Hot Wheels, right? The whole point of buying Hot Wheels when you were younger was because it's a cool car you play with it, you enjoy it, you, you drive it around, you do crazy stuff with it, you build the tracks, and you have them zipping around and stuff like that, and it's just fun. Now, how you make a movie out of that that makes sense and stays true to the brand, I don't know, okay? There's people that are going to be smarter than me that are going to make that decision, but does it have to be emotional, grounded, and gritty? As much as I make fun of the Fast and Furious movies and how ridiculous things have gotten, You know what? At least they've owned what they are. They're crazy stunts and Vin Diesel saying family 6,500 times in a movie. They understand that that's what they are, and they're going to keep making movies and printing money based on that model. You know what I really want from these Hot Wheels movies? I want crazy tracks, I want cool cars, and I want people with snappy attitudes driving them. That's exactly what I want. I want different personalities... I want crazy tracks, and I want awesome cars. That's exactly what I want out of a Hot Wheels movie. I don't need it to be this grounded, emotional movie about somebody's love for whatever. I don't need that from a Hot Wheels movie, okay? If I want that, I can get it from a movie that's probably going to be made 
for that purpose. Hot Wheels does not need to be made for that purpose. Say what you want about Barbie. At least they leaned in to some of the goofy stuff that has to do with the brand. And, you know, like with, you know, when she was like moving her leg and, and, and made it seem like she couldn't bend her knee and stuff like that, stuff like that. Just silly little stuff that you don't necessarily pay attention to until you go, oh, that's what they're doing. And you get a little bit of a chuckle out of it. Don't don't make this Hot Wheels movie more than it actually is. And don't, by the way, don't point to me about the Gran Turismo movie either. Because that's completely different that it was based on a video game. This was based on a toy that, you know, was basically for kids. Now, adults collect Hot Wheels, obviously, because, you know, at any age you can love cool cars, right? So I'm not saying that Hot Wheels are strictly for kids either. But at the same time, we're making, we're, we're trying to make this movie more than it actually needs to be. And, and I don't understand why you would do that. Why why not just make it fun and be it at that? Because you know what? Making this, trying to make this emotional and grounded and gritty and all that other stuff that J.J. Abrams was saying, you're giving people a reason to not like the movie. If you just make it and make it fun, it'll probably make more money and more people will want to see it. Who cares what the critics think? And I say that as somebody who critiques movies. You know, you shouldn't make a movie to get critical acclaim. You should make a movie because it's fun and the audience is going to like it. Now, fun, it has different definitions in different things. And, and, and there's also certain things that you want to be emotional. You want to be dramatic. And there's certain things you want to be gritty and grounded. This isn't one of them. Don't ground my Hot Wheels movie. Please, for the love of all that is good in film, do not ground my Hot Wheels movie. Can we please, please, please just have fun with this one? In case you missed it a little bit earlier last week, there was a full trailer for The Continental from the world of John Wick, which is the Peacock original series set in the John Wick universe. The three-part series is going to premiere on September the 22nd. And this was the best look that we've had of it yet. Now, I love the feel of the 19, of 1970s New York. You've got your young Winston Scott. You know what? You know, he's going to take control at some point. You know that from the John Wick movies. But this is kind of the starting point of all that. Now, does that take some of the suspense out of it? I guess maybe because you don't you, you kind of know that he's probably not going to lose, right? So that's a little bit of a bummer, but you know when you do prequel series, you have to enjoy them for what they are. So let's just throw that out the window, shall we? And let's enjoy the attitude that is a young Winston Scott because I lo- I'm so digging this character, the younger version of this character and what what this boils down to. And you see this in the trailer. And there's nothing wrong with it either, by the way, is it's your classic ragtag group that's trying to take control of an organization full of elite trained assassins. So it's almost like you have the ragtag group against the more established group. It's that trope that's worked in so many different ways. And it's going to work here, whether you like it or not, it's going to work here. And setting this in the 1970s, I think, just gives this the vibe that it needs to pull it off because it gives you a completely different element and almost helps you shape the characters in a different way so it doesn't seem so, you know, it doesn't seem so ordinary. It doesn't seem so tropey, for lack of a better way of putting it. And what you're going to get is what I just said. You're just going to get you're going to get a lot of action. You're going to get a lot of unique characters especially from the Continental itself, right? And you're going to get the attitude that just works in action settings. So again, I'm really hoping that what we're getting here is someone who realizes exactly what they've got and they're going to take advantage of it. 
Because, you know, let's just make it fun. Let's throw the action in there because what people really love about the John Wick movies besides Keanu Reeves is the action itself. And let's just run with that and see what happens. And I like the fact that they're going to make it a three-part series. So they're not going to drag it out forever and just make it ridiculous. So I'm just, I'm excited for this. This is one that I've been looking forward to for a while anyway. And we're just a couple of weeks we're actually what like almost a month away now so it's not too bad what we're almost a week away from which was what i was going to say is the ahsoka series which is going to be coming out on disney plus on august the 23rd the continental on peacock by the way i might not have mentioned that so put that out there that's on peacock but as far as the ahsoka series we get a really quick 45 second look at this thing can't call it a trailer it's not really a clip it's almost like a tv spot right and what we hear and what we see is Anakin Skywalker, and fans are freaking the hell out. I'm just going to put it out there right now. I don't know that we'll see Anakin, and I even if we do, I don't think we'll get a ton of them. I would not freak out about this. I know you're kind of hoping to see flashes of Ahsoka training with Anakin. You're hoping to see Anakin and hear him and all this other stuff. There's a connection there. We know that. It's obvious, but... I would not get your hopes up that that's going to be a huge part of this series. If it is, great. I think that would be really fun. Now, how they're going to present that, if it's going to be CG, if we're going to have another actor that's portraying Anakin, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see if this actually happens. But what I will say is that if it does happen, cool. If it doesn't, not the story they're trying to tell. At least I don't think it is. Is it part of Ahsoka's story? Absolutely it is. But please, please, please... Don't set yourself up for something like you did with WandaVision. You know, oh, Mephesto confirmed and all this crap. You spent so much time watching some of these Marvel shows, waiting for something to happen because you thought it was going to happen, and when it didn't, you got all pissed off about it. So here's what you should do. Watch this and enjoy the friggin' show. Enjoy the fact that we're getting Grand Admiral Thrawn in live action and Sabine and Hera. Let's just enjoy those things for now right and see where this goes and just enjoy the fact that they picked a good Ahsoka and Rosario Dawson let's just celebrate those things and if we get Anakin great if we don't you know that's okay too if we get little flashbacks you know kind of like they did with Luke and Leia all right when they showed Luke training Leia it was really quick you couldn't really see who was playing Leia all that well right if they do it that way and it's quick and it's just a couple minutes I'm not mad about that I think that that would be okay but just don't expect this to be more than it's actually going to be if we see it at all. And we might. And, and this trailer certainly teases that. But that's just it. That's why it's called the tease. You don't actually know what's going to happen. So, yeah, I'm excited for that possibility too. But I'm not as excited as some are because I don't want it to ruin my overall experience. Because I don't think it's going to be a huge part of the story. I was going to end the show today. By making fun of that picture of Stephen Amell on the picket lines for SAG-AFTRA as, as he finally joined the picket lines after what he said, I think it was last week or a week and a half ago, let's say, at GalaxyCon. But I'm not going to do that. It was, it, was, it was funny. It looked like, you know, you, your mom dragging you to a family function you didn't really, really want to go to and you wanted to act like you were having a good time or just, you know, just ride it out sort of thing. But then he spoke with ET Canada recently and he was talking about his comments he said and I quote when I spoke the first time I didn't choose my words as I should I love acting I love film and I love television and I know how much 
going on strike hurts, not just the actors, but all the people who work on film and television. I always said that I support my union. Saying I don't support the strike was the wrong choice of words, plain and simple. I put my foot in my mouth, and I'm trying to take ownership of it. Now, you can stay mad at Stephen Amell if you like, and I don't think you should judge people who choose not to stay mad at him. I can understand why those closest to the strike are going are gonna to probably stay mad at him for a while, if not permanently. This doesn't, this doesn't hit me personally at home. This doesn't hit my pocketbook. This doesn't, hit, this doesn't hit my household like it might hit your household if you're listening to this. And I will not judge anybody if they want to judge Stephen Amell more harshly because of what he said. Okay, But at the same time, clearly... He was frustrated when he said what he said, okay? He was very frustrated. He fought so hard for heels, not just to get the show made for himself. There's some selfishness to this. But for a lot of people, not just actors, but like he said, crew members that work on these shows, heels has been delayed so many times by stars, and it looked like it was going to be buried for season two, and, and it miraculously got released, unfortunately, right before the strike. Or, or, or right around the time of the strike, I should say. And that's frustrating because they can't promote it the way that they'd like to. Not just the press junket before it, but throughout the entire season. And that was one thing that MGM Plus did fantastic with From. They did a great job promoting it throughout the season. They can't do that with Heels and a lot of other shows. And when it comes to a show like Heels that has to scratch and claw for everything that it gets, I can understand his frustration but yeah, should he have just not said anything at all? Probably. He probably should have kept his mouth shut and not said anything at all. And he's frustrated. There's a lot of people in Hollywood that are frustrated, but they're maybe not voicing it as much as Stephen Amell does. But you know, Stephen Amell is an open book. And that's one of the things that fans have always loved about him. It's one of the things I love about him. He's not afraid to speak his mind. He's not afraid to say what's on his mind. problem is that this, in this particular case, he just didn't think it through. I think, he's, I think he really does want to atone for this. I think he realizes the error of what he said and the timing of which he said it. But again, he's allowed to be frustrated. He just voiced it in a way that probably wasn't the most constructive way to voice it. So if you have to stay mad at him, I understand. But I get that I think he really wants to kind of atone for this. And I think he really does support these people. He, he just got caught up in a moment of frustration and didn't think through what he said. And I think that did he partially mean what he said? Yeah, I'm sure he did. But at the same time, probably not the way that people are jumping all over him for it. So you know what? You know, they, they, I've, I've, seen, I've seen worse forgiven in Hollywood. So let's maybe see if Stephen Amell can make amends for this thing. And let's just see what happens. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the wonderful creative minds behind Babylon 5, The Road Home, which you can get now on Blu-ray and DVD and 4K and digital HD from Warner Brothers Discovery Home Entertainment. It was pretty good, I'll be honest. And and I wasn't expecting big things from it. It ended up being a lot better than I thought. Also, make sure you're following along on social media at DownAndNerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram and on threads. Also, at DownAndNerdy on Facebook, at DownAndNerdyPod on TikTok. And you can find all of this at DownAndNerdyPodcast.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, 
a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.